Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. Okay, so I feel like we're... uh, we are matched up in a way here that we can have a really interesting battle and debate because oh. you're talking about how to be awesome at your job and your last podcast is about future-proofing your career and I'm all about making people as replaceable as possible. So this is going to be awesome. Pete, Makaitis, yeah. welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. So let's get some background on you first before we bring out the gloves. How did you get into the work that you're doing? Oh, sure thing. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I was interested in the world of, you know, people development and, you know, learning and growth from an early age. I, I would go to the Danville Public Library where I grew up in Illinois and and just devour all these books about success, goal setting, teamwork, of all this stuff from from Tony Robbins to Stephen Covey. And and I just thought they had the coolest job ever and and I wanted to be like them when I was like 13. And so that was it. So that just inspired you to become like a trainer. That's right. Well, you know, I, I, you know, went through some steps associated with, oh, going to college. I studied sort of business stuff and then did some strategy consulting at Bain and Company for uh, a few years. And then I said, you know, what I really like doing is the, is the speaking and the coaching and the writing stuff. And so let's, let's make a go of it. And so I was sort of the weird guy. Most people left Bain to do uh, private equity or, or go to a, a schnazzy business school but I was like, no, I want to go be a motivational speaker. <laughs> so I, that's uh, that's kind of how it got going. Um, so so what do you do now? Sure thing. Well, I do I do coaching, uh, mostly associated with uh, problem solving and communication skills development, as well as as trainings and and my podcast called How to Be Awesome at Your Job. And the why do people need to be more awesome at their jobs? Oh boy, that is a big, beautiful question. Thank you for asking. You know, I'd say that you know sometimes it, it really is a matter of life and death. You know, like if, if you are not awesome at your job as an airline pilot or in the, the military or the police or a surgeon, you know, people are going to die. So so I think that's kind of cut and dry. No pun intended for the surgeon part of that uh, cut and dry. But also uh, even on a, a sort of a less life and death scale, you know, it, it matters hugely in terms of whether fundamentally you are enjoying your job. One of my favorite quotes from listeners was, when I'm awesome at my job, I love my job. And I think that's that's huge in terms of having that experience of excellence and growth and and being more and doing more and becoming more during the course of of living your your nine to five or whatever your your typical work hours are is just huge in terms of the experience of, of feeling alive and un great and and having a, a life that's all the more worth living. So uh where do you see people getting tripped up the most though? Like where, where are some of the really big wins for those people? You know, I think one of the biggest of wins is just associated with, you know, well, I love, I love your brand less doing, you know, just getting super clear on, you know, what are the things that are going to make all the difference and whether we call that the 80, 20 rule, the 20% of activities that are going to produce 80% of the results. Or I also am a huge fan of the book, the one thing, you know, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it, Everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. And just getting really, 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 really clear on on what matters most in driving for your goals and your team's goals and your organization's goals. 
and and what's all the stuff that just could go to the wayside? It doesn't even really require our time or attention at all. Uh, and well, so then what's the first thing you usually have people do in those situations? What are they what, like? What's the first step to even identifying those problems? Well, yeah, I think a large part of it is is zooming in on you know. If you've ever seen the movie Office Space, one of my favorite moments is when the Bobs, the consultants, are kind of frustrated trying to get an answer from their employee they're interviewing. And they say, what would you say you do here? And I think that that's a fantastic question on on getting clear about, you know, ultimately, what is the result we're trying to produce? You know, what is the, the value we're creating? How do we measure quantity or and quality in terms of of what we're about? And in large part, you'll see that uh, many of these things that we do are a means to an end and, and not a very good means. And, and I'm thinking in particular about emails and meetings are, are amongst the, the biggest culprits of potential time waste, is that uh, many meetings are, are, don't have a, a great agenda and purpose and focus and, and aren't really a driving toward where we want to go. And, and many times the, the email is, is sort of like a constant uh, interruption, distraction as opposed to a leveraged means of communication that is is taking us to the, the goal destination? Well, so the obvious question for me is that so many, so one of the big problems of being an employee is the lack of control of your, of your, what you can do really and how you can do it. So how do you sort of tackle that when they can't necessarily change the meeting structure or they can't change hours or whatever they might want to do that might actually make them more effective? Well, you know, well, it's interesting. I, I think with regard to the control, certainly you've got a, a level of constraint there that you don't have when when you're running the show yourself. But I, I think it's interesting is that a lot of people they sell themselves short in terms of how much control they really do have in their work life if they're an employee. You know, I, I know on the most sort of audacious instance, you know, I've I've heard of employees who will just uh, walk out of a meeting if there's not an agenda or a decision maker present. Now, that's pretty bold, and, and that could get you into trouble in in some uh, cultures and contexts. But I, I think it makes a point that uh, he actually got some pretty good results in terms of folks going, whoa, okay, don't invite this guy to a meeting unless we're really serious <laughs> you know, about what we're, we're trying to pull off here with regard to a written agenda and, and a decision maker. Alternatively, you could do some more kind diplomatic pushback with regard to saying, you know, I'm not perfectly clear on, on what you were hoping for me to contribute toward this outcome. But, you know, just to ask him that question or, hey, you know, is it critical for me to attend or, or would you be fine if I just... Uh, gave you a, a quick email of my thoughts and and read the the notes afterwards. And you may be surprised how taking that little dose of initiative and, and proactivity can get you escaped from a lot of meetings that that don't need your involvement. And, and when when is there that tipping point between being more awesome at your job versus finding another job? You know, I, I think that's a that's a great question. And part of it boils down to I think about some of the the e myth stuff. Uh, su- such good such good work there is that some people, I've heard that some say, you know, hey, everyone should be self-employed and everyone should work for themselves. And, and, and that's just the way it ought to be because you're getting screwed, you know, if you're working for the man as an employee. And, and I think there's some truth to that, you know, in terms of you think about the value you can create versus the value you capture, you know, for yourself, for economically speaking. But other times, you know, many people really don't care to have in their lives the, the risk, the headaches, the responsibilities associated with stuff. Like if, you're, if you just like baking, Maybe you just want to to be a baker and not an owner of a bakery and, and all the associated uh, extra efforts there. But in terms of when it's time to make the leap, you know, I, I think it, it boils down to you are generating tremendous value. You know it. You're you're doing a big results, big things. You're surrounded by others in your 
your organization, your team, your environment who are are not so much. And and no one really seems to to notice or care much. Like you're not receiving a proportionate like rewards, promotion, advancement, uh, compensation increases for the, when you may be doing literally ten times the amount of value adding. However, we're going to measure that, which we could talk about, uh, as compared to your your peers and colleagues. And and it seems like there's kind of BS roadblocks with regard to whether that's the policy or that's the budget or, you know, hey, you know, we gave you a a 6% raise last year. You know, we can't do that again. That's, let's be reasonable. I'd say when you're bumping into that and and you're ready to take on a a little bit more of the responsibility and the risk and to, and to be paid uh, what you're creating, then I think it is a, a good and appropriate time. But, but others, I'd say if you're, if you're loving your colleagues, you are content with your your compensation. You feel that you are appreciated and rewarded, and and enjoying doing what you can do in that team that you might not be able to do for yourself, such as design and manufacture semiconductors or or gigantic aircraft, or you know certain things really do require big teams to to get done. Then I, I think you can you can feel good about being an employee and and maybe uh, not. Uh, let some of the, the the sexy entrepreneurial messaging make you feel dissatisfied with the path that you're on. I think that's a that's a very uh, that's a very tough one to answer. I like that. So, for you, uh, is your do you have a team with you, or is 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 the business you? You know, I am the only uh, full time employee, but I do have some subcontractors working for me, uh, roughly full time in terms of the number of hours. And if you want to talk about how I find amazing people in the Philippines to do great work at great prices. I would enjoy discussing that with you, but it's your show. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, that's, that's probably relevant. Uh, so you may be able to work that into this next answer, which is what is the biggest challenge for you in your business right now? You know, I think that it's this balancing act associated with, you know, what do you want to let go of? Versus what do you really need to hold on to? Because, I mean, there are, there are many, many decisions that you make during the course of, of running the business. And at, at times, I think we can overdo it uh, either in either direction, either in terms of we're holding on to too much control. And that's silly. You know, a, a person who's earning maybe a tenth of what you're earning could be handling uh, that, that work in some of those mundane uh, issues. Uh, or other times where we're giving away a little bit too much control to others and like, ooh, you know, actually, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it that way. And I think that's kind of hurting what uh, what we're trying to accomplish here because uh, it's 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 wrong or bad or suboptimal. And so I think that's kind of the, the balancing act I'm thinking about when it comes to the outsourcing game is like just what precisely uh, should I hold on to and, and what should I let go of? And part of that is based upon, you know, skills and part of that is based upon you know, value created. And part of it's based upon just how much fun you have by doing that thing. So in your company where you're, you, you do have uh, outsourced VAs as well, how do you, as a leader, how do you instill them to be awesome at their jobs? Well, you know, it's funny. A lot of times working on the, the content itself is pretty powerful for them. And, and I love hearing them say that, you know, whether whether folks are doing transcription or they are taking a look at getting the things up and going on the, the WordPress website, or we're having conversations associated with which guests should, should come on the show versus which does not come on the show. Just being engaged in, in the content itself, you know, helps out there. I also like to make sure that we make time to, to talk about, you know, what are your, 
your dreams, your goals, your desires, what's working for you, what's not working for you so well. Is there anything I can do that uh, would would make your life more enjoyable or, or your experience of, of this job better? And, and then to just be frequently providing feedback in terms of you know what I what I liked and what I thought could be improved, and, and then that's just a, a encouraging, reinforcing cycle to to have going. So, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? First of all, I, we, we are talking about the, the focusing prioritization, and I, I would say stick with that. And, and even more so, I would figure out a way to systematize that a, a bit further. And so, you know, for many people, this is just as simple as, you know, writing out a post-it note. Today, these are the three things I want to do. Uh, you, I listened to your episode with Chris Bailey. I had Chris Bailey on, on my show a couple of times as well. He is awesome. He talked about the accountability he had with his fiance associated with, hey, these are the things that are important for me in this day. And they'll check in with each other. So did you do those things? And I think that's beautiful to have some kind of mechanism before you have the risk of getting sucked in with a bunch of text messages or emails or or other things to say, no, this is the plan. This is the priority for this day. And these are the parameters upon which I will declare at the end of the day, was this victorious? Do I feel like I can celebrate what has occurred here versus, oh, was that kind of disappointing? And to make sure that you're you're zeroed in on that on a regular basis. That's one. That's one. That's one. You know, and the next one is to is to sleep. <laughs> and you know, I it's like I almost feel really kind of lame, like a like a mother figure, just like did did you get your sleep, Ari? And, and I mean, but really, it's it's huge in terms of all the studies that come back associated with. Just recently, someone put out that we are angrier. Would we sleep less? And, and so you might have intuitively known that, but now we've got that proven, you know, a, a causal relationship between a sleep deprivation and, and being angry. So not only is your irritability and how you're affecting others uh, huge in, in sleep, but also your capacity to, to think and be creative and to, uh, you know, conceive uh, new ideas and, and get them going. I saw that you had Dan Sullivan on the show, who is awesome with Strategic Coach. And, um, uh, he talks about free days, and I think that's that's so huge in terms of having that that time off to be able to be all the more refreshed and generate more ideas. And, and sleeping is is just part of that. So I think some people think I don't need that much sleep. You know, I'm I'm tough, and and I think that the research more and more is is showing that you know even if you don't think you need it, you probably really do. Uh, you know, seven, eight, nine hours per night is what about ninety nine percent of of folks who don't have the super gene uh, require in order to, to be operating well. And, and it's just, it, it pays rich dividends in terms of time invested in sleep yields a greater time in terms of those clever ideas for how you can automate, streamline, outsource this thing that uh, was taking up all your time before. And so it, it's, a, it's a cool, virtuous cycle that could be generated there. So I am big on adequate sleep amounts. Good. That's, I think that's an excellent one. Um, and I'm, I'm, I can't wait to hear the, the third one. Oh, sure thing. Well, so the third one, I'm going to, think about, and this is kind of related to the plan part, but it is sort of defending yourself from distractions and, and being a bit vigilant with this. And, and I think everyone has their own sort of weakness. You know, maybe for some it's, it's the news always on CNN.com or wall street journal or, or, or something. Others, it's social media. Others, it's the, the pings and dings and, uh, and texts and beeps and buzzes from, from their cell phone. Other people are just their email in terms of like, Ooh, a new message. What is that? And so I think it, it really pays off to get clear on, you know, what is the potential distraction risk for you? And then how are you going to defeat it? And, and this research here is, is, is huge. I, I saw one study they did at Microsoft that showed on average 
every time someone pulled was distracted from what they're doing, they pulled up their email, they like responded to it, and then it kind of got back to their thing. You know, that whole cycle took about 24 minutes. And so if that happens 20 times in a day, which is not uncommon for people to, you know, get up in their email 20 times in a day, you know, that's like a full workday sort of burnt there. And so I really encourage folks, if that's your, your poison, I encourage you to set a, a couple times a day. And it's like, this is when I'm looking at the messages, you know, it, it's sort of pre-planned as opposed to constantly. For folks with a phone, I encourage you to uh, hide your phone, you know, put it, leave it in another room, uh, leave it in the bag, uh, turn it on to silent, sort of, you know, whatever it can takes to, to remove that. And then when it comes to this, the actual mental skill of being able to let distractions be instead of picking them up. I've been a huge fan of some of the research and, and my own experience coming through with mindfulness practices, whether that's meditation or, or just having, you know, five, 10 minutes of, of quiet thinking about nothing and just returning to uh, focusing on your breath uh, again and again and again. It sort of builds that muscle associated with letting your brain focus its attention on what you really desire to focus on as opposed to whatever might yank it around. Those are, those are excellent. Those are, I'm, I appreciate you taking the time to think those through. Those are great. So, oh, thank you. So, P, where can people find out more about you and listen to your awesome podcast? Oh, well, thanks for asking. Well, you know, you can learn more about me at awesomeatyourjob.com. And in any podcast player, if you just type awesome space job, it, it'll kind of find it autocomplete. It's yellow. And um, yeah, I would love to chat with folks. All right. Well, Pete, thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking to you and uh, hope that people really learn something from it. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.